Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are still very much knee-deep in tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This episode is number 122. It was recorded on June the 4th, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. So today's headlines, Config Manager, Technical Preview 2005, we have some new nifty PIM features, and it turns out that virtualization might actually be playing nice for a change, and a huge updated Power BI white paper. But first, seems we messed something up last week, Simon. Damn it, Simon. Is that even possible? Yeah, I usually mess things up. You never do, but I do. So I'll be the one who takes care of this. So our um, friend Bart Jacobs at CloudSparkle, only that serves a mention, I would say, uh, reached out to me on Twitter and um, didn't really at all agree with our explanation of neither MSIX AppAttach or Teams redirection in uh, Windows Virtual Desktop from last week. So I then humbly asked him, how should we better explain it? And I think the we, let's start with MSI app attach because I use the term stream when it comes to how the apps are actually being injected into the operating system, and it's not really streamed as such. It's mounting a VHD inside of the operating system. So I used stream for to make it easier to understand. But I fully agree with Bart in terms of that it may be a slightly different way of thinking about the app so it's not streamed as such it's mounted yeah well there there is actually a difference there so exactly uh the other one is and this is quite interesting so i I, i'll actually need to read up on this because apparently i misunderstood parts of um, the team's redirection so according to bart uh, and the problem have been solved by vmware and citrix previously but it's now in wvd and we claim that it was due to the latency between the data centers and the endpoints. But the real problem, according to Bart, is that it's the protocol conversion that's the problem. So when you send your ICA or RDP protocol from your endpoint to your virtual machine, it needs to be converted into the Teams protocol on the actual virtual device sent over the Teams protocol to the other virtual machine, and then back through the protocol to um, the second physical endpoint. So what this really does is allowing the Teams or the the, um, client on the endpoint to make that endpoint-to-endpoint connection instead of a client-to-client connection. Uh, I do remember actually that the, I mean, very, very old communication platforms like OCS was pretty much using SIP as the protocol. So session initiated protocol. So is that still being used in Teams? Because I, I would understand that conversion in that case, that, that that would probably apply as some latency to the interactions. Yeah, I'm actually not completely sure. So I'll need to read up on this. And Bart has... Uh offered to be a part of our podcast 
in, in an upcoming episode to talk this through. So I would be really interested in actually having that deep discussion, which is, I would assume for the EUC community, uh, an old discussion, but I'm really keen on learning. Yep, I would actually be very surprised if it was uh, still using the SIP or SIP protocol, because, I mean, I haven't heard anyone talk about that for like 10 years or something. So I, I'm expecting it to be something else. Cool. Very, very interesting. And, and thank you so much for, for Bart uh, reaching out to us. And uh, I, I used to say that I, I, when I, whenever I teach 20533, the old classic Azure infrastructure courses, something broke. So I've, I've, I've uh, done it several times. And two of the times I managed to apparently break um, Azure in in uh, Western Europe, as you always do, as I do. So I've I've been pretty much been told flat out, you're not teaching five three three anymore, which is okay because it was retired a few years back. This week I am teaching one hundred four, the AZ one hundred four, which is the the um, the follow up course to five three three. Five three three turned into a few steps down the line one hundred four, and funny that Azure Resource Manager went down today. <laughs> That's that's not even like a data center. It's a service across data centers. Yeah, this shit has to stop. I think. Uh, apparently, I I'm not really supposed to be teaching this course because things break. Anyway, didn't also everything that's happening in the U.S. start when you started your course? Well, it depends on who you're asking. Um, I would argue that. Everything started to go to shit back in December 2019. And what happened then? I know that Simon is going to enjoy this because that was the death of Windows Phone. And apparently, this is this is exactly what I'm I'm talking about on on when I'm uh, speaking about data because correlation does not imply causality. This is a great example. <laughs> Windows Phone died in 2019, December 2019, and now the world has gone to absolute bananas. And it might be related, then again, it might not. But I'm going to switch gears here. Because Simon, you have a new technical preview. Why do you all get all the fun toys? Because I work with the fun technology. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> because people that work with the fun technology don't have any kind of life. Sorry, product groups in Redmond. Now that makes but sense. Uh, but but again, we get usually one technical preview for Config Manager every month, at least. And this one, so 2005, I would assume it, it should be called and not 2005, but you never know, is probably one of the biggest and most mind-boggling technical previews up to date. Wait a second. I think we need to uh, we need to set something straight here. I want to go through all the recordings we've done. And I want to pick out every time you say this is probably the biggest thing, whatever we've had since the dawn of time. I'm pretty sure that it's way more than one, two, three, or even 19 of them. Do go on, Simon. I, I, I know he loved the 2003 one, especially mm -hmm. because of the naming scheme. Mm -hmm. And nothing is as good as sliced bread. To summarize, what we see in this technical preview is close to everything is about tenant attach and the concept of tenant attach is that you will or or are connecting your 
configuration manager environment to Intune. And the reason for that is that you want to push up information or pull down information from the endpoint manager portal in Azure. So up until now, we have been able to do things like gathering all of our devices that are managed by config manager alone, co-managed, Intune managed, Jamf managed, things like that in the endpoint manager portal. We have been able to see some uh, inventory data and such. But for this release, we now have a bunch of new features that we can use from the web-based, internet-based portal to make things happen with our on-prem machines. One of the smaller things is that we can install an application from the admin center. So basically, right-click and install um, an application on a configuration manager managed device in close to real time. We can use CM Pivot from the admin center, which is basically a way of making queries towards one or several devices on-prem using configuration manager real-time queries. But the really big thing is that we, and it's not entirely connected to tenant attached, but it's on the same subject really, or same topic, which is cloud. So one other thing we have been getting is that we now are able to do task sequence media. So basically making an offline media of a task sequence, boot image and the instructions. And that one will, will be able to get cloud-based content. So content that are based or which you can give to the device over a cloud management gateway. In practice, enabling you to do almost a complete reinstallation or bare metal installation of a physical machine over the internet. Um, speaking from someone who does, does not know squat about this, what do I need to have on my client to do what you just said, a bare metal install over the internet? So what you need to have uh, is that you can either do this if you have a USB key. So you have a USB key where you put down the um, boot image and the instructions of the task sequence. And then it will prioritize to get the content of this task sequence from cloud resources rather than local distribution points. So the examples that you're given, you send a USB key to a user at a remote office to re-image their device. So would that be like a modern version of doing PXI boot just to get your machine installed, except that instead of going to a local MDT server or whatever, you just connect to the cloud instead? So that USB key should just have the bare minimum drivers for the machine to be able to get an internet connection, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you can't do the actual Pixie boot. You need to do that on-prem. So either the USB or you press F12 to get the boot image. But once it have the boot image, uh, it can either download if it have connectivity to a management point. Uh, it can download the task sequence. Or if you have it on a USB key, you can preload the task sequence on it. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I won't say that it's a 
needed or required feature. But there are those cases where you really can use this and which is currently managed in a very complicated way with local DPs or such where you can't use autopilot as an example. Um, so I'm, I'm, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm really excited for it. And uh, just that it's one of a ton of feature makes this preview an amazing release. So it's, it's so many things to try out. I suppose that should also complement uh, the autopilot feature. Yeah, and, and that's what we... I haven't read up on that, actually, but autopilot... When you do an autopilot deployment, you can push down the config manager client. Basically, yep. tell autopilot to install the config manager client. And to that config manager client, you can bootstrap a task sequence, basically saying that autopilot installs the config manager agent. Once that agent is installed, you can tell it to instantly execute a task sequence, which you probably could... No, this is a media. Would be interesting. It's an interesting proposal. You should be able to make... You should be able to do it. Not perhaps entirely supported, but you should be able to do it. Mm, Very nice. Cool. Yeah. And before we started recording, you said something about PIM, that we had updates to PIM as well. Yeah, and it, it's it's not as cool as uh, the technical preview, of course. So I won't say it twice in one episode. But have any one of you used privileged identity management in Azure AD? Mm-hmm. Yes. And up until now, you have requested your permissions. It's been evaluated and you're given them. But to apply them, you need to sign out and sign in again. Yeah. As per classic Windows case, pretty much. Now you don't. Since earlier this week, it will only refresh the browser page and you will be getting your new um, permissions. And I actually, I was working, I believe it was Monday evening, and I did um, ask for higher privileges, got them, and I realized that I didn't do anything to actually start using them. And then the day after, our... um, friend Jesper Nielsen tweeted uh, a screenshot of him doing the same thing. So I haven't really seen any official notes on it, but it's definitely there and it's definitely working. And it's a much needed improvement for the entire simplicity of using PIM, which everyone should be doing. Yeah, well, it's all about the user experience, right? Yeah. And then user experience, and that implies that users are are playing nice with each other. And... uh, as a segue, this is a horrible segue, but still, could you explain what, what the whole virtualization playing nice really means, Simon? Where to start? Well, VMware, Hyper-V, good place to start. Nested virtualization might be the way you're going with this. Uh, excellent point. So, we'll start from the beginning. How, I'm, I'm assuming that you have been using VMware Workstation at some point. You think? About 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and and at some point, we, we all started to use Hyper-V instead. Uh, all as in us three, not the entire world. But I, that's how it is. No. I have yes. not used Hyper-V. 2008 R2 was the gateway for me. That, that's one Hyper-V. That, that's when you're replacing VMware Workstation. But for, there, there are plenty of reasons why you would be using VMware Workstation still. 
But the challenge is that if you want to run a secure Windows 10 client, you still need to have Hyper-V enabled to get all the cool security features. Credential guard. Yeah, credential guard, device guard, sandbox, you name it, everything. And to do that, you enable the Hyper-V feature. What will happen if you try to install VMware Workstation on a Windows 10 device which have Hyper-V enabled? (coughs) Nicely done. And that, our listeners, wasn't an add-on in terms of a sound effect. It was actually our hosts. And they are Hyper-V hosts, of course. Oh, for... So... That's been a challenge. It's been a blocker. Uh, and, and for various reasons, a lot of organizations that I've been working with have actually prioritized VMware Workstation over the security features uh, for various reasons. But since the latest release of VMware Workstation, that's now been solved. So you can now run VMware Workstation side by side with Hyper-V, the Hyper-V feature on the same Windows 10 box. But is that actually based on nested virtualization? Or have they done some other sort of black magic to make it work? It's it's VMware's, of course, is black magic. Um, I think it's... I haven't actually read up on it. But yeah, it's run at user level instead of privileged mode. They have re-architected the VMware hypervisor to use Microsoft's VHP APIs. So I would... Yes, it's probably nested virtualization running underneath. Yeah, sounds like it, uh, going off your description there. Yeah. As they say, and, and this is VMware talking, you no longer have to choose between running VMware Workstation and Windows features like Windows Subsystem for Linux, Device Guard, and Credential Guard. Quite interesting. And and I think it's a, it's a welcome change. Definitely. And I think it's, it's you shouldn't be needing to compromise on either. You should be able to run both. And it will, of course, run at the, um, the the regular privilege level if you not if you don't have Hyper-V enabled. So it's smart enough to realize, okay, where where should I install myself? So it's a it's a very nice feature, and it requires, mind you, the um, latest Windows 10 release, so 20 H1, 2004, 2004 May release, build 19041. Dot two six four, whichever you prefer. So that Windows build and VMware Workstation fifteen point five point five. Um, Tony, you said something about latency improvements for Windows Virtual Desktop, and why on earth would you be talking about Windows Virtual Desktop? Uh, well, the reason for me talking about it is because we are actually using it at our company. I checked the Windows Virtual Desktop roadmap earlier today and noticed that there had been a bunch of posts put in there which all said Windows Virtual Desktop latency improvements are coming and insert country here. And there were like pretty much, I don't know, 7, 8, 10 of them all posted pretty much for uh, like right now, coming in June, coming in July, coming in August and so forth. So, for example, you know, UK, France, Norway, and many, many more were are getting these uh, latency improvements. Uh, I suppose what that might mean in practice, uh, I imagine it would be either infrastructural improvements in Azure, or that they will actually 
roll out uh, the actual Windows machines in these local regions. No, they will be extending the um, back-end service to these data centers. The machines can be running in any data center of your choice and have always been able to do so, but they are rolling out the back-end to all the data centers. So you don't have to go through, in, in our case, go through Ireland to get to the Norwegian data center if we so prefer. Uh, ah. In the in the beginning, we all had to connect through US East to, if I remember correctly, but the machines could be living wherever. Oh, okay, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so it's the backend things that are actually yeah. being deployed locally. Yeah. Or, or regionally. Yes. Okay, right. Yeah, but that that sounds like a great latency improvement for, for real. I mean, not having to jump through a few hoops to go to another data center, that, that is, that's pretty big. I mean, we, we can do a lot of things, but light speed, mm, yeah, it still rules. But it depends on, like, when I first started... No, Simon, light speed does not depend <laughs> on anything. <laughs> yes, it does. If you turn off the light, you don't have light speed. It's completely black. This episode is going to be called The Physicist. Thank you. When I first started with uh, Windows Virtual Desktop, the back end were in the US and my machines were running in Europe. And using like regular office apps, you really didn't notice. So it's when you do like data intense things, graphic intense stuff, that you will notice it. But you shouldn't be too uh, afraid of using a data center wherever, wherever wherever you are. And also keep in mind that you can always change. So if you have everything in one data center today, you can change when um, you want to move, but you don't have to. Is it like moving any other resource in, in Azure, i.e. just click, click, move, and you're good to go? Basically, yeah. All right. All right, for my side of the fence, there was, it, it doesn't sound like much, but it is a huge thing. So there, there's a, a white paper uh, called the Power BI Enterprise Deployment White Paper. It's, it's a tome. I mean, it's, it's the white paper we've always had to, to uh, fall back on. It is now updated by Melissa Coates and Chris Webb. Uh, Melissa is doing her own thing, and uh, Chris is, is uh, at Microsoft. And holy cow, it is absolutely epic. Everything you ever needed to know when it comes to architecture, uh, to how to think when it comes to Power BI Premium, Power BI Embedded, when to use what, why to use what, everything is covered in this 260-page behemoth. So go download it and read it. It And it's 260 really useful pages. It's not any fluff at all. It's, it's epic. It's going to be linked in the show notes. If you're working with Power BI or considering working with Power BI, go read it. Just do it. So two questions. First, you said that Melissa were independent. Yes. And Chris working for Microsoft. Is this something that Microsoft have ask them to create or have they done so as a community effort i don't know actually i i, I looked at the the uh, the people who did the uh, technical re review stuff some of them are microsoft some of them are their own content wise it's probably just great and it i don't like they are probably very unbiased both of them mm. uh, regardless of where they work it's just out of interest of is this something that shows where microsoft are 
like going and standing for that they want this to be a really really good experience that you should be doing things right or is it a community effort that microsoft will have a huge benefit from um well it, it is underwritten by microsoft it is it okay, is a yeah. microsoft white paper um, ah, okay yeah but the answer is yes to those questions i'd say and the second question when we have had like scaling considerations and such for config manager up until last year they started at 2,000 seats. So is this white paper, or 20,000 seats, sorry. So it was really hard to scale that down for the Nordic market, as an example. Is this applicable for all sizes of organizations? I'm so happy you asked that question because I would not have remembered to say that otherwise. It is all the way down from just you playing with data on your machine, all the way up to the biggest enterprise deployment you can think of everything is covered in this white paper cool then i'll need to read it absolutely and that's no problem because it's only 260 pages without any fluff by the way without any fluff and speaking of fluff simon uh the uh, the swedish um, security uh police did did something the other day i think they do things every day they're just very open with this <laughs> Yeah, so, so they released a blog post where they have collaborated with a number of other uh, agencies and um, so the the uh, Swedish defense are... I won't even try to translate all of this without having it written down. The police, our defense, and a bunch of other uh, parts of our defense and uh, security agencies in Sweden. Uh, they've released two reports on cybersecurity. One is focused on threats, methods, vulnerabilities, and um, dependencies for cybersecurity, which, and they are following up many of their findings with actual cases they've handled. And it's everything from smaller things such as an individual organization getting hit by phishing up to uh, Operation Cloud Hopper, which you may be aware of so operation cloudhopper were a huge attack against some of the bigger outsourcing vendors or cloud vendors in in the world where they attacked the vendors to get access to their customers data and a lot of organizations were breached in that attack uh, and they also are very open with the fact that sweden as well as any other country i would assume are under constant attack both public uh, public uh, agencies as well as private companies but the other report which i would start reading if i were one of our listeners would be the recommendations that uh, our security police is uh, advising us to adhere as a cio or security officer at an organization and it's repeating the things i do every single day install security patches as soon as possible Use multi-factor authentication and don't give global admin to every single person you find in your organization. Uh, protect the use of uh, admin privileges. Don't like inactivate unused services. Make backups and ensure that you can restore them. Wait a second. You said don't inactivate? In inactivate. Oh, thanks. Do inactivate. Do inactivate. Fair enough. Yes. Uh, harden your systems. Only allow devices that you know in your network. Whitelisting of software. 
segmented networks, keep your software and hardware up to date, and use some kind of technology to constantly monitor your environment for attacks. Yeah, so I would highly advise you to read this. It's in Swedish, unfortunately, but if you are from Sweden or understand Swedish or can translate it, definitely read it. It's 60 pages of very interesting information. And if you don't read Swedish, you might actually go find yourself a pet Swede. (laughs) Which would be any one of us. (laughs) Exactly. We are happy to translate. All right. So I'm actually going to be speaking uh, next week. Oh, Uh, There is the Nordic Developer Conference that was supposed to be in Oslo, and then the world ended. So it moved online. It's going to be the whole week. And I will be speaking on the 12th, so that's Friday. And I'm going to be doing the uh, SQL Server Hates You again. It was a while on since I did it before, but I, I've updated it. I've, I brushed it off. And yeah, it's going to be good fun. I I really enjoy that session. Yeah. You're going to be doing something as well, Simon. Yeah, I'm speaking at the virtual edition of the Workplace Ninja Summit in August. So it's between August 25th to 27th, and I'll be speaking together with Gary Hampson uh, on the 25th, delivering the Getting Started with WVD in the Real World. And it's a demo-only session. Nice. Interesting. Yes. So anything small stuff happening at work, Tony? For me, it was pretty much uh, integrating Salesforce uh, sandbox in Azure AD uh, for doing single sign on stuff. So it was, uh, let's say it was interesting uh, because there there was some some challenges getting this up and running uh, because of lacking documentation. So I mean, if you if you do a for example net search for you know Salesforce and Azure AD, you get a billion hits. However, most of those are either outdated or not complete. So there's details missing in pretty much all the articles I found. So I had to like, you know, figure out you know, the things in between the lines uh, to get this to work. But once I got it working, everyone was pretty much excited, happy. It was like, oh, all our like, 300 users is going to love this. It's great. Uh, I'm happy you did this. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, ne- next up, we will have to do this in production as well. Ah, okay. So this is going to be a, a blog post uh, pretty soon, I suppose? Uh, I'm hoping for that, yes, absolutely. Uh, because, because there are a few details, you know, that I would have liked to know uh, prior to this. And now that I know them, I would... It would be a good blog post, I think. That will draw attention to our blog. That definitely. I mean, as soon as you write Salesforce, you never know who's going to be crawling, crawling out of the woodwork. Yeah, well, the problem for me is that I know absolutely nothing about Salesforce itself. So if someone asks me a question about that, I just go, uh... And I think on that complete lack of knowledge, it is now time to end the show. Thank you all for listening to Needy in Tech. And if you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be a part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com. Maybe Simon has actually fixed it this time. It should be working now. Yeah, keyword being should. We would be back next week. And meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye now.